Friends, today on this Christ the King Sunday, as we conclude our sermon series on the book of Psalms, we explore the 145th Psalm, which celebrates God's kingly reign. The introduction calls it a song of praise. In fact, it's the one and only psalm among the 150 to be identified in that way. Verses 2, 3, and 21 encourage us to praise God. Now, the word praise occurs a startling 117 times in the Psalter alone, and 13 of those occurrences are found in the psalm Dale preached on last week, Psalm 150. Well, before we hear Psalm 145, let me give you a bit more background about it. It's a beautifully crafted acrostic poem in the original Hebrew, and this means that the the first line begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each subsequent line of the poem begins with the next letter of the alphabet. So Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and so forth, all the way to Ta. There is one exception to the pattern, though. Remember, the psalm's focus is on God's reign as king. And so the psalmist ingeniously positions, in in English, the letters letters K, L, and M, to be be read backwards. M, L, and K. And if you put those consonants together, uh, in Hebrew, you get the word melech, which means, you guessed it, king. So as the writer celebrates God's kingship, the psalm alternates between calls to praise God as king and God's attributes, which make God worthy of our praise. Now, I understand the psalm to be a comprehensive statement as the word every or all occur 16 times in the psalm. Psalm 145 emphasizes offering God our praise and is followed by the last five psalms in the collection, in the book of Psalms, the Psalter, all of which begin and end with the word Alleluia, literally, praise Yahweh. And that reminds me of the story of the man who bought a donkey from a pastor. The pastor told the man, I've trained this donkey in a special way. The only way to make the donkey go is to say, Alleluia, And the only way to make the donkey stop is to say, Amen. The man was pleased with his purchase and mounted the animal to test out the pastor's instructions. The donkey responded as the preacher said he would. This is great, said the man. With an alleluia, he rode off. He traveled for some distance through hills and and mountains. Soon he found himself heading for a cliff. The problem was the man couldn't remember how to make the donkey stop. Stop, yelled the man. Halt, he cried. (laughs) But the donkey kept on moving. Oh, no, he screamed. Desperate to get the animal to stop, he tried a variety of different commands. Bible, church, please stop. Desperately shouting the man. And the donkey kept moving closer and closer to the cliff. And finally, in desperation, the man blurted out a desperate cry for help. A prayer. Please, dear Lord, make this donkey stop before I go over the cliff. In Jesus' name, Amen. And with that, the donkey came to an abrupt halt, just a foot short of the cliff. Relieved and grateful, the man shouted, Alleluia! (laughs) Okay, with that introduction, Chuck Stark is going to read our text, Psalm 145. 
A reading of Psalm 145 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall laud your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed and I will declare your greatness. They shall celebrate the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them their food in due season. You open your hand satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. This psalm provides a laundry list of the many qualities or attributes or actions which make God our king, worthy of our praise. Now think of the typical monarch or ruler in our world today. Do the words goodness, greatness, faithfulness, majesty, mercy, compassion, kindness, love, righteousness, and justice, which the psalmist attributes to God, accurately describe the ruler you have in mind? I doubt it. Today I want to focus on three of those attributes. 
God's steadfast love, God's compassion, and God's faithfulness. Verse 8 forms a kind of ancient confession of faith, which appears at least six other places in Hebrew scripture. It's an affirmation confessing that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. German Old Testament scholar Arthur Weiser comments, though the mighty wondrous deeds of God and the terrible acts of God's judgment manifest the sovereignty of God's power, the true greatness of God lies in the tenderness and intimacy of the compassion with which the Divine Father loves his creatures. A steadfast love is the way the translators of the New Revised Standard Version render the important Hebrew word chesed. And I've, I've mentioned that before in an earlier sermon. God's chesed, or steadfast love, is the sure love that will not let Israel go, will not let us go, even when Israel, or we today, prove unfaithful. Even when Israel worships and serves other gods, though God may discipline her, God continues to love her, though God's steadfast love is completely undeserved. As I mentioned earlier, some Old Testament scholars translate chesed with the word grace because it's a love that's undeserved. Verse 9 reads, The Lord is good to all, and God's compassion is over all that he has made. Now, the word compassion comes from a Hebrew word, rachum, a form of which is used to describe a woman's womb. Well, we know God Almighty is beyond our understanding and transcends gender, either masculinity or femininity. Scripture most often references God, as you well know, in masculine terms. However, here God's compassion is likened to a mother who showers us with love, womb-like love, like a mother does with her newborn. Describing God's kingly reign in verse 13, uh, that verse ends with the words, the Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The word gracious is a, in a form of the word chesed, steadfast love, we talked about moments ago. And 16 times in the Old Testament, God's character is described with the twin qualities of steadfast love and faithfulness. 16 times they're, they're put together, many times in the, in the Psalter itself. And in that word group for faith and faithfulness is our little word, amen, a word we all know. Amen is a transliteration of the Greek, which itself comes directly from the Hebrew. Now, it has both, a con like many Hebrew words, a concrete meaning and a more conceptual meaning. The concrete meaning of the word amen in Hebrew is foundation, rock, pillar, or fortress. Conceptually, amen describes God as faithful, reliable, trustworthy, and true. The various forms of the word group associated with amen appear 50 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, one of the most beautiful and iconic structures in our world today is the Golden Gate Bridge, roughly 50 miles to our south. What has given the bridge its strength and durability since it was built back in 1937? Well, it's designed so that every part of the bridge is connected to the other through a vast cable system 
to two great towers and two land anchor piers. Now, the two towers bear most of the weight, and they are deeply embedded into the rock foundation beneath the sea. And that foundation of rock provides the bridge with its strength and its stability. Speaking of rock, Jesus is quoted as prefacing some key statements by saying, Amen, amen, I tell you. And it's often translated, truly, truly, I say to you. But it may literally be translated, rock, rock, a symbol of strength, I tell you. At the end of book one in the Psalter, Psalm 41.13, the word is used in a double way. Amen and amen. My mentor Earl Palmer notes, in this instance, it means the faithfulness of God followed by the response of our faith. God's faithfulness for our faith. And he also suggests that this may be Jesus' intention in his double use of the word Amen. Now, when I think of examples of human faithfulness, my wife Lisa, my awesome parents come to mind, as does my maternal grandfather. His name was George Albertson Hart, but my two brothers and I called him Poppy. We knew Poppy extremely well because we lived with him in the same home in which he and my grandmother had raised my mom and my uncle Ed decades earlier. Now, Poppy died when I was 10 years old, but by that point, I'd been in Little League youth baseball for two seasons. As a 9- and 10-year-old, I played only sparingly as the 11- and 12-year-olds who were bigger and stronger and more, you know, more experienced got most of the playing time. Often, I never got into the game at all. Or if I did get a, a rare at bat, I struck out or at best walked. In spite of my lack of success as a batter, Poppy never missed a single inning of a single game for two seasons. He was always there to root me on if I should get into the game. Now that's faithfulness. And sadly, I regret the fact that Poppy didn't live long enough to see me get my first hit as an 11-year-old. So for me, Poppy mirrors, in some small way, God's reliable and trustworthy nature in faithfully caring for each of us. God's faithfulness means that oftentimes, even when we give up on ourselves, God does not give up on us. The Apostle Paul writes something similar in his second letter to Timothy, when he says, if we are faith, faithless, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, for God cannot deny himself. Friends, as the psalmist tells us, because of a variety of attributes, including steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness, God our King is worthy of our praise. So I invite all of us to view each and every day as an opportunity to praise and worship and serve the triune God, our loving, our compassionate, and faithful divine King. So may it be. Amen.